there of our work um, in Kenya, in Africa. Um, I'm going to uh, just inform you that, oh, I'm sure you may know already that Paul and I are actually missionaries out in Kenya, um, but we also have an orphanage, a feeding program and a high school that we've just opened. And I actually look after the charity side of things and Paul looks after the ministry side, the teaching and preaching. So we like to think that between us, I'm the hands and feet and he's the, the mouthpiece of Jesus. <laughs> we certainly do our best to be that. But it's, it started many years ago, um, and I actually never thought I would be a missionary, um, particularly in Kenya. I didn't wake up one morning and think this is what I'd like to do. Um, but it's just happened. Um, and no one's more surprised than me, really. Um, and it just, the God has just led me over the last 10 years to be in that place. It just began for me um, just going on a, on a holiday to Kenya, staying in a lovely beach hotel where actually the group stayed when they came out. Um, but I decided I wanted to get away from the tourist area and see the real Africa. So I went out and actually ended in, up in the village of Utangi. Now, Utangi is a traditional mud hut village people living a hand-to-mouth existence. Very, very poor, no sanitation. Um, and I thought it was very sad, but I didn't think I was going to do anything at all. Um, I, in fact, we, I went to the local school and I sponsored a couple of primary school children. So I got on the plane thinking, oh, good, I've done my bit. Um, however, when I got home, it was like God just had another idea. And I remember I was just in bed one morning doing my quiet time. I was reading my Bible and I was reading the UCB Word for Today Bible guide notes that I'm sure you're familiar with. And it said, it's better to have a dream and fail trying to achieve that dream than not have a dream at all. And I just said, well, I don't have a dream. And, and, and it was God just zapped me. And he said, yes, you have. It's to build an orphanage, feed, clothe and educate those children that you met in Utangi. I had my Bible open and I just went, Bleh. It was just so scary. Um, and I thought, what do I know about building an orphanage in, in Kenya? I'm just a mum, a housewife. Where do I begin? So I actually thought it all sounded a bit scary. So thought I wouldn't actually speak to God or pray at all because I really didn't want to hear what he had to say. But after th about three days, I just couldn't get it out of my mind. It was just constantly on my mind. You know, like when the Holy Spirit's just there, it's like it's resting on your shoulder and it was just constantly there. So after three days, I came back and I said, okay, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, you're going to have to put people in my path to help me because I know nothing about um, building an orphanage in Kenya. I thought, I mean, I like children. I like my own children, but I'm, I'm really not that's not my ministry. I don't, I, you know, I'm a counsellor. I'm a Christian counsellor. I, I, I don't really do children. I was, did Sunday school for however many years it was when mine and my children were young. And I was like a square peg in a round hole. And I said, I don't like children that much. And he just said, no, but I do. <laughs> and that was the beginning of it. Um, anyway, a couple of days later, a neighbour came and knocked on my door and he said, I don't know why I'm knocking on your door, but I just feel like, like I'd like to raise money for poor people in Africa. And I just looked at him. I didn't even know him that well. And I said, I think you might be an answer to my prayer. And he said, I've never been called an answer to a lady's prayer before. Anyway, he came in, he sat down. Um, we were talking. Um, at that time, Paul had a dream uh, that he was to go to Africa which I'm sure he'll tell, tell you about his side of the, of the, um, of the calling as well. Um, so that was the beginning. And a year later, we had the first phase of Casuarina House built, which is our children's home. Um, and that is actually 10 years ago. So we've been going for 10 years. We've had the orphanage open for 10 years. They were very tiny, the children, when they came in. Um, and now they're big strapping teenagers. In fact, we have two at university. Um, so during that time, I was going backwards and forth, to, back and forth to Kenya, um, and I started doing a bit of mission work with the pastor. Um, it, that was the beginning, really. The, the pastor at the church would say to me, "Oh, you know, there's, come into the village. We need to pray for these people." And one particular day, he said to me, "You need to come. We need to go to this village uh, because this, this family have lost their child." 
uh, is a burial and we're going to pray for the parents. And we walked through the, through the village and we got to this mud hut. <sighs> Sorry. <clears throat> I was... I've said it this loads of times and it always upsets me. Uh, we got to this mud hut and there was a mound of earth outside with a child's body in. And this child had died of hunger. And um, I remember saying to the Lord, this isn't right. In this day and age, children should not die of hunger. And especially Kenya, people, it's actually quite a wealthy country. But at that time, there were pockets where children were actually dying because they didn't get enough to eat. And I said this to the Lord, you know, this isn't right. And he just said to me, do something about it. And I'm thinking, well, actually, we've already got the orphanage. We're raising money for the orphanage. Um, how, how, what, what am I supposed to do? And I found out from our house dad, who, was, uh, who is the dad of Casuarina House, the orphanage, that there were 500 other orphans in the village that were only eating every few days. Now, in a way, children are quite fortunate in as much as when their parents die, a neighbour or a guardian will actually take them in and give them a roof over their head. But because they're such poor people themselves, living a hand-to-mouth existence they're not able to feed the children so the children were only eating every few days so the Lord really laid it on my heart to do something about that and to begin a feeding program for these 500 orphans um, I came back to England and um, we were very fortunate at that time we had um, a contact with a local radio station in Bedford and I was able to go in and launch an appeal to begin a feeding program so that we could actually start feeding these children. Um, it didn't happen straight away. It took about 18 months to um, actually have enough money to be able to begin um, but we but we, um, we we began 18 months later and I've actually got a little video of the feeding program to show you. Thank you Natasha. Cry for all the innocent ones Born into a world that's lost its heart For those who never learn to dream Because their hope is crushed before they can start We shake our fists at the air And say, if God is love, how can this be? His hands, we are His voice, we are the ones who must make the choice. If it isn't now, tell me when. If it isn't you, tell me who will save the children. Who will save the children?
decide that nothing can change and throw up our hands in numb despair. We lose a piece of our souls by teaching ourselves just how not to care. Christ would have gone to the cross just to save one child. actually been running the feeding program now I think we're in it uh, eight years is it we've been running it eight years that actually is a film of eight years ago when we began the feeding program the group will be surprised to see that because the we've moved the feeding program uh, actually um, we have a, a, a rather super duper cooking pot that somebody donated but that's how we originally ran the feeding program now as I say we've been running the feeding program for eight years but actually um, we were thinking well actually we're feeding these children physically I would say over 50% of the children on the feeding program come from Muslim backgrounds so we're here we're given a God-given opportunity to teach about Jesus's love to these children and we we thought about I think three or four years ago actually we're feeding these children physically but we need to be feeding these children spiritually as well so um, we've begun a club actually before the feeding program that's called 500 club and all the children come and we take them into the church we do games with them we do a bible story and we have Christian songs um, and some of the group that came out from here actually helped run that club when they when they were here I think Zoe did the story didn't you um, so um, now we feel like we're feeding them spiritually and we're feeding them physically as well um, and it's actually quite interesting because a lot of Mus well, Muslims aren't supposed to go inside a church they're not allowed to so some of the children stand outside on a Saturday um, while, while it's all happening but they because there's so much laughter and fun going on inside they're just so busy looking through the window they get to hear the story anyway the, the, the gospel story anyway they just don't come in so so that, that's, that's where we were and then we always felt that the further vision was to build a Christian high school because uh, primary education in Kenya is free and so children are, are educated but uh, when it comes to going to uh, high school uh, it actually costs so most children or a lot of children, certainly poor children, do not, got, do not get the opportunity to go to high school. So we, we had the land for I think... I don't know, eight years or something. And then um, about four years ago, it was actually when Paul and I got married four years ago, we went to uh, America, Florida for our honeymoon. And before we went, we were just praying that God would open a new door of funding so that we could start to build the high school. Um, and he did. Um, it was amazing. And we got our first donation, so we were able to put the foundations down for the school we've been fundraising and going back to America the last four years and um, I'm so thrilled to say that in January this year the 7th of January we opened our doors to our first 70 orphans and disadvantaged children um, that was the group that came out they came to the opening it was a fantastic celebration it wasn't just the opening of the high school that we celebrated it was actually our 10 years anniversary of the opening of the orphanage um, so I'm going going to show you a quick clip of, of the um, high school opening. Um, the children in the yellow t-shirts that are singing are actually our Casuarina House children. So um, look out for them because, as I say, they're, they're, they're our orphanage children, but they're all up here now. They're not so little and cute anymore. They're still cute, but they're not so little. Together, before you, it's Celebration High School, ready to present a poem entitled... Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome. <laughs>
and even all our sponsors and all those well wishes we can never thank you enough for what you are doing in your life and so we should just be passing the good that our sponsors and our mama has done to us we shall be passing it to the community around us and we are making Utangi a better place and by doing so we are making Kenya as a whole a better place for us not just for us and even for the generations to come God is going to bless you not just bless you but in abundance and even to your descendants and generations to come that the blessing are going to flow in your family and your descendants in the name of Jesus thank you all and may God bless you I'm not such a good dancer as those guys, am I really? <laughs> it was an amazing time. It was just, it, it, the day we opened the school, it was like, I couldn't believe it. For eight years, we'd been fundraising. For, for five years, we'd had no money. We just had the land. And we opened, and it was like, the building has life. Thank you, Jesus. And the first walk, the first week that we opened the school, I just couldn't contain myself. I was just listening. I could hear the teaching going on. I could hear people in the reception. I could. It was buzzing. And I was just walking around the school going, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. It was just amazing that it, it just all, it, it was just, yeah, it just, the build, as like I say, the building has life. It was um, hard all the way because um, it was a Christian high school and we wanted Christian teachers. So, we, we were looking for everything Christian. Um, we actually said, to, which you couldn't get away with in this country, we actually said um, we have a lot of, some Muslim children in the school and we didn't want to exclude Muslim children. Um, and so we actually made a contract uh, with the guardians or the parents to say that, um, that they've got to agree to there will be no head covering in the school, that we won't accept any praying to other gods on the premises. If they want to pray to other gods, then they have to do it off of our off of the premises and um what was the other thing oh yeah we won't be celebrating anything other than christian festivals and as long as people adhered to those um criteria then they were allowed to come into the school um yeah oh am i in yeah can you hear me <laughs> oh, okay that's cool Okay, um, I just want to take the mic away from me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just when you were uh, looking at all the yellow ones there, <laughs> the, the Casarina kids, we were just watching them dancing and for the celebration, and I, I felt so proud, you know, because we've had them from little, and now they're so big, and they're, they're performing, and they actually perform at a hotel as well. They've performed for the group that came out to the hotel. Uh, and I felt so proud of them, and I was looking at them, and then it was like, I was watching those, God kind of directed my eye over to the, all of the sea of 70 turquoise uh, children, and said, now you have these. And it was like, like, you know, what we've done now with these 
children. We are now kind of being responsible to do that with these. And it was kind of like so kind of amazing, really, to think that. And I've been able to go into the classroom, and all of them have a Bible. So I kind of did a Bible session with them. And it was really wonderful. On the first day, I said to them, OK, open all your Bibles. Who would like to read for me? And a little girl who was a Muslim girl who came covered with her head covered, and her mum, you know, came. Uh, and they said, we want to come to this school. We're more interested in her education uh, than we are in our Muslim faith, basically. Uh, and uh, they said, uh, you know, and Khadija, this girl, was the first to put her hand up and said, I'll read it. Uh, so it was, it was great. Yeah. You know, you do all these things and you think, you know, you have to be so close to God and listening to his voice. And, uh, you know, you, you, I question everything all along the way. Is this what we're supposed to be doing? We're not just building a high school just because it's a good thing to do. We want to be doing God works. We want to be doing kingdom work. We don't want to just be doing good works. And um, 10 years ago, when we first started, um, first started the project, I was in my quiet time, and God gave me this picture. And it was of a big ocean, and there were two islands in the ocean. And one island, there was all like um, jungle, like palm trees, and it was very green and lush. And the other island was all high-rise um, tower blocks, and there was a bridge in between the two. And I said to the Lord, what does this mean? As I say, this was 10 years ago. And, and, and he never told me. And then just before we opened the high school, um, the Christmas before we opened the high school, I was praying and that same picture came into my mind and I realised as I, I was actually standing in the um, upstairs of the high school looking out the window and I was looking at the lush green island with all the trees and, and, and everything and as I was looking, uh, this was in my dream, and as I was looking out I saw all these little turquoise figures running through the jungle over the bridge and on into the other islands. And we just decided that week that we were going to have turquoise as our school uniform. And I, I was asking God to reveal to me what it meant and with them all going over the bridge and into the island. And he said to me, Debbie, this isn't just about building a high school. This is about building a sending pace for the young people to go out with the gospel. This is, about, this is a place that's going to be somewhere to mentor, motivate and mobilise young people with the gospel. And I was like, oh thank you I just needed that affirmation so we still have a long way to go as you can see at the top there we haven't finished we've opened the first phase which is the downstairs which are four classrooms science labs offices and toilets but upstairs we're actually building um, on this on this block we're building a, a worship center we're building a library and a computer room and we're hoping that we've got enough funds when we go back to um, complete that um, because we want to start an encounter a service in our worship centre um, and mainly for all the young not it's not ex we're not excluding older people but mainly for the school children and the the young people in the area so as soon as we've got that finished we're going to start start that off um, we are we have 70 we it was amazing how God provided 70 sponsors because all these children are all orphans and disadvantaged they uh, they don't have the means to pay to be able to go to high school and last year God provided 70 sponsors for us for each of those children that was a really big thing really because at the beginning of the year you know we already have Catherine in the feeding program and to think that we can persuade 70 people to actually part with 29 pounds a month a month we were thinking <laughs> like that's not really going to be easy uh, because in the past we've been asking people to pay five pounds six pounds for the feeding program and now we kind of up the game quite a lot and to ask for 70 and it seemed like what are we doing you know not only we got to do it this year we got to do it next year the next year the next year it's like this is impossible but we started the year kind of with that prayer and month in month in people came and said can i sponsor and right up to december we still had 11 more people that we needed sponsors for we wanted to open with 70 children 70 sponsored children and uh, even right to the last day we got an email on the last day with one child left and said can i take a child and so we had 70 before we opened. Literally. I mean, God never does anything early. He's always on time, but I so wish he would be early sometimes. <laughs> um, but this year, we, we've actually already obtained 46 sponsors. So and that's we, incredible. That's that, which is yeah. mind-blowing. Um, and so we still need another, what is that? What, I can't add 14. up. No, uh, 24. 24. We still need a tw another 24 sponsors. As Paul said, it is £29 a month uh, to sponsor a child. 
um, but it's actually so rewarding um, to, to think that you're making such a difference to a child's life. Um, and you d it really does. Um, the school writes to the sponsors three times a year, Easter, s um, summer and Christmas, just after the children have done their exams. Um, and uh, the child writes to you and you have an email address where you can actually write to your child, send prayers, words of encouragement. Um, and then we have a sponsor trip. Our next sponsor trip is next is October 2020. Um, so we have an opportunity for people to to come out, stay in a lovely hotel, and meet their sponsored child. Um, it was actually quite an, a, an emotional time because when the, some of the group came, when the group came this time, some of them were sponsoring. Uh, a child so they got to meet them and we called all the children out and they were just all lined up and um, they saw their sponsor introduced them to their sponsor and some one girl burst into tears and so uh, her sponsor's a lovely doctor at, at my church and he just burst into tears as well I think Zoe's girl just leapt on you didn't she <laughs> so they were all so pleased to meet and so grateful to meet their sponsors yeah that's it for me oh is it okay <laughs> <laughs> just looking up at this top bit again Debbie was <laughs> Debbie was um, saying about building this uh, top part because we wanted to. We, what we're interested also, of course, is spreading the gospel. And so we want these children, when they've done their four years at school, some of them will go to college, some of them may go to university, some of them will start work. But we're hoping that some will stay on and we will do a Bible college. We are planning on a Bible college so that by the time these children have reached that age, we will be set up for children to come into a Bible college whereby they can stay and they can learn how to do missionary and we can send them out. We believe that God is creating a sending base and this is the children that we're going to work with. So, you know, it's, it's an amazing sort of picture that we feel that God's given us and we're kind of really excited about it even though we... we uh, know that we're going to struggle. We struggle because all the time we think about the finance, but we know that God knows. We, I say it's God's will, it's God's bill. <laughs> he, he, he has to do it. He has to make it happen, and we're sure he will. But one of the things is, when I'm saying this, is that um, we, we're interested, uh, as we said, doing the children's club because we wanted to teach the children. We're also teaching pastors. We have 30 pastors that come every year, uh, sometimes two times, sometimes one time a year. We do a residential with them for three days and we teach the pastors because there are so many pastors in Kenya who don't have any training. You start a church by having a crusade. You have a crusade and you convert 30 people. The next Sunday they meet around a, a tree and they meet around there for a while and then uh, they decide who the leader is and then they start praying and getting a few poles up and then the roof up and then you have a church. Um, but the pastor uh, isn't really trained. And so th there is a need for training of pastors. And I think only one person of the 30 that we have, one, isn't it, that um, has, has been had any official training. Um, and in fact, they've come even without Bibles. Um, so how can be a pastor without a Bible? I don't know, but they do. <laughs> they come along to the, 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 the session and they say, have you got a Bible? So, <clears throat> and so what my, uh, my heart is for, for the, the commission that Jesus has given us, that we go into all the world and we preach the gospel. And that's what God wants us to do. And that's what we have to keep as our focus as a church. You know, a person, Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And a fisherman doesn't sit in his boat and wait for the fish to jump in. The fish never jump in. <laughs> he has to go out into the lake. He has to do the fishing. He has to find the fish. He has to hook the fish. He has to bring the fish in. And then Jesus says, not only bring them in, but disciple them. You know, hang on to them. It's not just fruit. It's fruit that remains. It's fruit that stays. And so we have to disciple them. And so the commission we have, you know, as a church, and, and I feel sometimes the church needs to kind of wake up to the reason that we exist is to evangelize is to bring people the gospel, is to bring people into salvation. Because that's, that's what we should be doing. And it's not about clapping, it's not about singing, it's not about getting new uh, choruses, it's not about having good songs and good Bible studies. It's actually about the commission that we have to go out and preach the gospel. And of course, when we have to disciple them. So we have to have Bible studies as well. <laughs> um, so I want to just look at something that happened. I was, uh, on a Thursday night, I, do, I get the kids together uh, in the house and um, we have a Bible study. And uh, I was doing a Bible study with them on Colossians. So I'm going to kind of just show you a little bit of, of what we saw in Colossians and um, what God also did kind of uh, to me <laughs> uh, as a result of reading this to the children. Um, so one Colossians, um, can I put Colossians up there if it's possible? I know that this lady at the back here, uh, Samantha, is it? 
Natasha. No, Colossians. I've got the wrong one, sorry. Uh, oh, did I? Oh, I don't know why. <laughs> so she's got all the wrong verses there. But um, Natasha says, don't worry, I can just stick words up there while you're speaking, she said. <laughs> Uh, chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and verse 8 to 12 is what we're going to be looking at. So I was talking to the young, the children, and uh, we're particularly looking at a particular verse that says that we should endure uh, suffering joyfully. It's like, you know, what, how's that possible? <laughs> you know, if you're enduring, it just doesn't sound like joyful. You know, these words don't quite go together. If I'm enduring, it's not happy. <laughs> it's like a struggle. And if I'm suffering, well, then I'm certainly not happy. So, you know, how do you endure suffering joyfully? And uh, so we were, we were talking a little bit about that. And um, let me just read these verses to you that are in Chronicles chapter 1. Colossians. Colossians, sorry. Who said Chronicles? <laughs> Maybe it's prophetic. Perhaps we should go there. No, well. <laughs> Okay. <clears throat> Uh, did I say verse 8? I did, didn't I? Actually, I want verse 9. That's what I'm going to start with. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you uh, and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers and in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Now, Paul is writing this from prison. So when he says endure joyfully, he, he has got to be experiencing that himself in order to write that. Paul had a guy named Epaphras, who was, uh, when, when Paul was actually the uh, uh, leading elder in Ephesus, he um, had a guy with him called Epaphras, and Epaphras came from Colossae. And it, Paul said to uh, Epaphras, go back to Colossians and found a church there. Start a church. So Epaphras did. He very successfully founded a church in Colossians. He also did another one in Laodicea, another one in Pergamon. So he was very successful in what he did when Paul sent him out as a missionary uh, to these places. And then Paul himself is arrested and taken to Rome and put in prison. Now Paul, foolishly it seems, uh, decided to say, I want to be addressed as a Roman citizen. I want to see Rome and be tried there. Now, the man said to him, well, this is a shame, because had you not have asked for that, we could have let you free. <laughs> but now, you want to go to Rome? Okay, <laughs> you can go to Rome. And so he goes to Rome as a prisoner. So you think, Paul, why didn't you be quiet? <laughs> why didn't you just let it go? <laughs> You'd be all right. <clears throat> but um, the next morning, I was on my way to, uh, with Debbie to town. And uh, we started off the morning with the car refusing to start, so we re realized we needed a new battery. So I'd taken the van. And as I'm driving the van, the, the orphanage van, which we, we, we have for the children, um, it's a 14-seater bus, we were going down into the town, and a policeman comes out and stops me and waves me down. Now, this is quite common. I get this all the time. One reason we're white, uh, and the other, they're just looking for money. So um, we get held down, and um, <clears throat> he says to me, oh, he says, you've got a crack and it's just a small crack on the plastic, on the light in the front. Doesn't affect the car in any way. Doesn't affect the lights in any way. Doesn't do any damage. I said, yeah, but it's a very sound crack. There's no problem with it. And it's not going anywhere. And the car works perfectly and the light works perfectly. Never mind, he said, you've got to drive this into the police station, which is opposite him. And we're going to do a full inspection on your vehicle. So uh, well, this is what I normally do. I normally argue. <laughs> I normally confront them with, you know, you people are so corrupt. This country is ruined, you know, by corruption. You know, if only you people would stop harassing your own people. If only you would, you know, just kind of like realize what you're doing and uh, stop this corruption in the land. And I go on and on. I just kind of like lecture them all about their nation and all about the corruption and all about the, what they're causing. And eventually they say to me, go away. <laughs> just go. <laughs> and it works quite well, actually. 
Debbie has another uh, tactic. She just tells them that I'm a pastor, and as a pastor, it's, not, it's against my religion to pay bribes. <laughs> <laughs> that sometimes works too. But um, <clears throat> uh, that's what I normally do. So anyway, I went into the... I, was went, I had to drive in. I, I didn't argue with him. This was the problem. I didn't argue. I said nothing to him. I went, okay. Now, at this point, I think I was a bit like Paul. I should have been saying something different. Because I was taken then into the... the, the um, police station, and uh, he was writing out forms and asking me questions, and I was just giving him yes or no answers, until eventually he was then leading me to a van, and he said, okay, this van is going to Shimataya, which is three miles away, and it's a, it's a jailhouse, and you're going to have to wait there for around seven hours for your hearing. So um, I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to go in this van, I want my bag. My bag's in the van. So I said, okay, I'll go in the van, but I need to go and get my bag, it's in the van. He said, no, it's okay, we've taken the keys, the keys are now locked away. He says, it's perfectly safe. And I said, no, I said, this is a police station. I really am not going to leave my keys in a police station. <laughs> I said, this is the most corrupt place in Kenya. So I started a little bit. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and then he's going, don't be ridiculous, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then someone said to him, oh, let him have his bag because I wasn't getting on the, on, the, on the bus, I was going to stand there arguing. So, and eventually I got, and got my bag. While I was getting my bag, he's walking with me. And while he's walking with me, he's saying, now, Mr. Casarina, because Mr. Casarina is the name on the side of the van, Casarina Orphanage, he said, Mr. Casarina, he said, you don't really want this, do you? And, uh, and I'm ignoring him. And he's kind of like just saying, you know, perhaps we should do something. You know, what, what, what can we do? And uh, so I'm going to the back of the van, I'm ignoring him, and I'm get, I get my bag and I come out, and he goes, look, Mr. Casarina, he said. I said, look, I said, my name's not Mr. Casarina. I'm not Casarina. And I realise <clears throat> that what he is thinking is that Mr. Casarina is the owner of a nightclub. <clears throat> the nightclub is a fairly sleazy place that has a pole and a lady going up it outside. And uh, he thinks that I'm Mr. Casarina. And so he thinks there's money here. And he can't understand why I'm kind of ignoring him. So anyway, I get carted off to the prison. And uh, I, I go there. And I'm realizing that God... I oh know, just one other thing I have to tell you. Because he says to me... Oh, the nightclub's called Casarina. Yeah, the nightclub's called Casarina. Did I not say that? No, okay. The nightclub's called Casarina. <laughs> so anyway, he thinks I'm from the Casarina nightclub. So anyway, he says to me... I, I say to him, no, I run an orphanage. So he gives me... Um, I, I show him my card that says uh, Catherine Orphanage. Said, Why didn't you tell me, he said. He said, if you'd have said, he said, you haven't even spoken to me. I said, no. He said, he said if you had told me, he said, I'd let you off. He said, look, tell me what I'll do. I'll take you to my boss. Tell, my, tell the boss that I, the, the officer is being very finicky about a little bit of cut on your lights so he agrees with me. And he says, um, just say that and say what you do and he'll let you off. So we go over to the office. And while we're walking to the office, we go into the office and... Um, He's having a row with a member of his staff. And um, they're shouting at each other. And we walk in, and he says, get out, get out. So we get out, and the policeman turns to me and says, I don't think he's talking. He won't talk to us. So I said, what now then? He says, I don't know. So we wander around, and uh, the guys now have got the van's waiting. There's only one seat for me. And uh, so uh, I'm saying to him, what should we do? And he says, I don't know. And in the end, he walks away. He says, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And they're calling for me to get onto the van. Now, as I'm getting on the van, I, I know that God's up to something. You know, I could have done my usual confrontation and got away. I could have got off by the boss if he wasn't having a row. But now I'm suddenly on this bus on my way to the jailhouse. And uh, so I'm thinking, God's got a plan here. And actually, as I'm thinking this, I get quite excited. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm going to the prison. I've got a captive audience. I've got all these guys who I can talk to. And, you know, suddenly I'm realizing I can feel joy with this kind of bit of suffering <laughs> that I'm going to endure. I'm going to endure. And uh, so I'm going up to the jailhouse, and uh, <clears throat> as I get there, I've had a bit of banter in the bus with people, and I've chatted to the, to the uh, guard there. And, and she says to me, oh, don't worry. She says, you'll have a cup of tea and a sandwich when you get in. So she's lying too. But um, <laughs> we get in there, and it's a very dirty, dingy, <laughs> horrible place. I think I've got a picture somewhere. <laughs> uh, so I'm going in there, and um, <clears throat> uh, yes, you can, if you can see it, <laughs> I, I get into the prison, and the moment I get in there, I'm getting chatting to some of the guys. In fact, I announce myself when I come in. I say, hi, everybody. I'm your local tourist. I've just come to see this place. I've never seen it before. Anybody like to lead me around? And they all look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> but a couple come and talk to me. And then Debbie turns up 
to this place here, which is an opening, uh, to it's like a, it's a holding house. So basically, if you get picked up off the road, you get taken there. But all the prisoners, most of them are there. There's about probably a dozen in there from the road. But all the rest are actual prisoners that have been brought from their prisons to this holding place to wait for their court hearing. So this is the place they're kept for the court hearing. So we're all in there waiting for our court hearing. And these guys, I'm kind of like joking with them. And when they see Debbie come up, and Debbie says, oh, I must take a picture of this. <laughs> they actually think I am a Taurus. Think, he is a Taurus. That's all he does. <laughs> and so anyway, uh, I'm, I'm chatting with them. But God opened up uh, for me an opportunity in there to really pray with some of these guys. There was five guys. Um, sitting again in, in one of the cells. As, as you look back in, in the, down the corridor, there are actually three cells down there. Uh, and the, the, they're all open doors. And right at the end, actually, there's a little corridor. with a, At the end of it, there's a toilet with no door. <laughs> Just a hole in the ground. Um, but, um, <clears throat> which I didn't use. So, uh, so I went back to one of those cells, and there was five guys sitting in there, and they were just leaning up against the wall, and someone's asking me who I am, what do I do, why am I here, and so I'm telling them I'm a pastor, and I run an orphanage, and, and, and they're saying, oh yeah, that's cool. So, and then um, I said, you know what, can I, can I chat to you guys? So, and they're going, yeah, so I said, okay, I want to tell you a story. <laughs> So I've got, uh, behind me is a, the wall, and uh, it's filthy dirty, so I'm using my finger <laughs> to kind of wipe on the wall because I want to kind of show them something. And what I'm showing them, actually, is uh, what, something that uh, I actually use in the prison. I used to work in the prison uh, for some years, and I used to use this uh, illustration whereby if you, if you look like this, you're, you're like this on a, on a flat area, you're kind of a triangle sitting on a flat ground, you are safe, aren't you? You're, you're kind of like secure. Right? But if something happens in your life where you get turned upside down, the trials goes like this, it's a bit wobbly. <laughs> okay? So what I said, that, you know, that sometimes in our lives, God causes us to get into a place where our lives get turned upside down. And the reason he does that is because he wants to get our attention. We find in the book of Revelation, it says uh, that um, God disciplines and rebukes those whom he loves. That's because he wants our attention. But the next verse says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and live with him and he with me. So with that, with that rebuke or discipline that might come into our lives, with that turning upside down that might occur, some kind of issue that occurs in our life, it's God getting our attention so that his voice can be heard. So if anyone will hear my voice, I will come in and sup with him and live with him and him with me. And so I was telling these guys, you know, you, you know you're all here for some reason or other. And none of them were there for traffic offences, so they had other problems. Uh, and, um, and I said, you know, you've been turned upside down, but God was getting your attention. So I, I shared this with them, and they said thank you, and I didn't really get that much response particularly from them, but they were listening, which was quite nice. So as I was coming out of the cell, there was a guy also uh, who'd been listening, and uh, he said to me, can I speak to you? I said, yeah, okay. He said, look at this mark on my head here. So I looked at the mark on his head. And he said, I have this mark, he says, because every night I kneel down and I put my head to the floor and I cry out to Allah to give me justice. He said that the, that the government was building a road through our land, he says, and they were taking too much land. And my mother was complaining. And they used a machete and hit her. He said, then I came to her aid and they called the police. I'm the one that's got arrested and put in prison. He said, I've been in prison uh, four months he said, this is my third time to come out and go to a court hearing. He said, I've been crying out to Allah to give me justice. I said, well, it doesn't seem like Allah's listening. Uh, I said, what you need to be doing is calling out to Jesus. And he then put his hand in his pocket and he pulled out a Gideon Bible. And he was smiling and he showed me a Gideon Bible. I said, oh, I said, you have a Bible. I said, why don't you have a Koran? He said, well, when we came into the prison, he said, they gave us a choice. You can have a Koran or you can have a Bible. And he said, I thought I'd try the Bible. He said, I've been reading it, and I like it. I said, that's cool. So I'll show you something in the Bible. So we looked at John chapter 3 and said, you know, that God wants to come by his spirit into our lives. He'd already heard what the other stuff that I've been talking. So I said to him, look, let's pray. I said, uh, and let's pray that Jesus will give you justice today. That when you go to your court hearing, they will hear your court case, and they'll let you free. So I said, that's what we're going to pray. So we prayed that prayer. We prayed the prayer, uh, and he happily received it, and then he kind of went away. I mean, we were in the prison for some time. So he was sitting around, and I saw him sitting against the wall, and he was smiling. And I looked at him, and he had a big smile on his face. And I said to him, are you okay? And he said, he said, yes, he said. And he went like this. Oh, looks like this. 
<laughs> he went like this and he said, it's touched my heart, he said. I can feel it. And he was just sitting there with this grin on his face. And I thought, you know, God, you know, here's a man who's picked up a Bible, started reading it, and you are now on his case. You know, you know the Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but all should come to salvation. That's God's heart. He doesn't want anyone lost. He wants to do what he can to bring us back, whatever that takes. You know, I had a, a story once in Morocco where I was uh, with a mate called uh, Gary, and he was a Filipino. And we thought, where should we go in Morocco? Where should we go? Let's go evangelize somewhere. So we got a map, and we went like this. <laughs> and we thought, wherever that is, we're going to go there. Remember Gary? <laughs> so we went down there. And so we went all the way down to Tiznet, this little place at the bottom, uh, on our buses. took took us about, I don't think, about three or four hours or something, maybe, maybe more. Went right the way down. And in that place, it was quite strange, because everybody wore light blue cloth, uh, and they were Muslims, and there were just mosques, and it was such a Muslim place. And I actually gave a track to a guy who came to the bus, got off, when we got off the bus, he says, hi, he says, can I take you to, the, to my uncle's hotel? It's not an uncle's hotel, it's just somebody's who can get a bit of money for. And so I gave him a track, he said, no, he says, I can't take that, he said. He said, that's dangerous. And he pushed it back to me and wouldn't take it. And so we, we went to the hotel, and then he said, do you want to go and see the shops? Uh, he says, my uncle runs a shop. <laughs> so we go to his uncle's shop. <laughs> and we went to this shop, and they had crosses hanging in the window. And I said to the guy on the show, I said, strange really, I said, this place is so Muslim, and you, you've got crosses hanging in the window. He said, yeah, he said, they're called Berber crosses. He said, the Berber people used to be people of the cross. He said, but then Islam came in. <laughs> uh, Christianity became illegal. So he said, but he said, come back, he said, later tonight and talk to me. So, okay, we went back to the hotel, dropped a few stuff, came back, and there he was uh, in, in his house. And he had, um, he, got a, he put a, a, what's called jalaba on us, and uh, we sat down, and we had to sort of like the tea, and then he got a Bible, he put a Bible on the table. And I said, oh, wow, you have a Bible? He said, yes, he said. He said, my uh, sister had married an Italian, and uh, she came a couple of years ago, and she left this with, with me. And uh, he says, I've been waiting for someone to talk to me about it. <laughs> you know, God knows, doesn't he? God knows how to get people. What we need to do is make the divine connection. You know, we need to be saying to God, God, just make me aware. Make me alert. Make me open. Make me ready to hear who it is. What, what is my assignment for today? Who can I meet on the bus? Who can I see in the shop? Who can I see in the marketplace? Give me my assignment today because there's someone somewhere that needs to know the gospel and we need to be the ones that are taking it. We need to be taking it out there. You know, then, um, sorry. <laughs> Jumba, oh, Jumba. She wants to remember Jumba. Oh, sorry. Yes, Jumba came back after he'd been out to his, his hearing and uh, he came back to this place here and uh, he called out to the guys, he says, for me to come and he said, Jesus has heard our prayers. Um, I'm free. And he handed me a photograph of himself, and he had a, his name in the back, Jumba, and he said, remember me. And he handed it to me. Uh, so, you know, it was God, wasn't it? God, God knows, and God has a way. You know, it's been a hard year. We, we really kind of like struggled this year with different kinds of things. One, we, had, we got robbed. We had a robbery when we first arrived. Uh, Debbie put her back out and was uh, for like having to do her work sitting in bed with a bad back uh, for four weeks. Um, then I happened to get, I went out with the uh, children to a, a water park. One of the volunteers, they leave money and they say, treat the kids. So we went to a water park, uh, which is a treat for us really. So we, we take the kids out there to the water park. And um, <clears throat> I was there, and I had a small cut on my foot. And uh, the bacteria from the water got into my blood, and I got septicemia. Mm. And uh, I was, I, the, over the next couple of days, my legs became very swelled up, and, uh, and it was um, becoming, um, came on the Christmas day, I had a fever, uh, and I, I had to just lay down. And it, it was swelled right up, and, and then I, next day we went to the hospital. And um, the, the doctor thought, oh, you've banged your knee, you've swelled your knee, we'll do an x-ray. We said, no, it isn't that. We actually have, um, oh, you can't really see it very well, but actually that, <laughs> that was my leg at one point. And it did become a little bit scary. We went to the hospital, we had uh, some antibiotics, but I actually was worried. Because people were saying you need to get your leg drained, you need to get it out of your system, you can go into your blood, you can go into your bones, you can go into your tissue, you can lose your leg, you might even die. 
Uh, in fact, people kept telling you stories about people that died. <laughs> so I was waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You can take that away. No, I don't want to see it. <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, worrying and thinking to myself, I could die. You know, missionaries do die. <laughs> and I thought, uh, I could lose my leg. You know, missionaries might lose their leg. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, Lord, I don't want to. I don't want that to happen. And I had these kind of worrying moments. And then one night I was lying in bed and I felt something shake my foot. And as I was shaking my foot, uh, I was thinking, what was that? Did, did I imagine that or what was that? And um, then I felt that somebody had come into the room. And um, as, as I was looking and I was staring into the darkness, I felt there was something quite close to me and began to speak to me in a strange language. And I knew that this was a, a demon. And uh, it didn't scare me, which was nice, actually, to know. <laughs> it didn't frighten me at all. In fact, all I was, I was irritated by it. I just tutted. I went, like, what are you doing here? Like, why have you come? You can't touch me. And that's what I said. And at that moment I said that, there was this big flash of light in the room. And, uh, and then when the flash had gone, it was just stillness and silence and peace. And I just thought, that was God had just driven away the demon in the darkness. And uh, it was, you know, God had come in, in, in that moment, in that, in that prayer time, and had driven away the demon. And I, and I felt actually at that moment I was also healed. I felt I was healed. Um, it was going to be a little while before my leg completely recovered, but I felt the healing took place. Uh, so much so that in, uh, uh, within a few days I went back to the hospital. I'd be having to go every day anyway to have injections. But I'd gone back there and I said, can you give me another blood test? I want to check how things are going. And they said, no. They said, your leg is still too swollen. It's, uh, you know, like it's no point in doing it this soon. It'll be the same results and it won't be any point in it. So I said, okay. So they said, come back in a few more days and maybe we'll do that. So I went back in a few more days and I said, can you give me a blood test now? They said, we would give you a blood test, but our machine's broken down. And uh, so a few more days later, I went back and uh, they said, I said, can I have a blood test? And they said, yes, you can. And it's a miracle. And I said, oh, why is that? They said, well, they said, you know, it's Christmas time. It's New Year. There's no technicians. There's no one to mend this machine. We can't get hold of anybody, but we really needed it. So we decided to get around the machine and pray over it. They said, it's clicked into action. It's working. <laughs> And so they said, now we'll do your blood test. They did a blood test. They came back and they said, your leg is perfect. Uh, they were surprised because it was so soon, because it was so quick. My leg was healing really well. In fact, by the time the group came, we, this was like December. They all came on when 27th, was it? Or when did they come? January something, yes. Well, by the time they come, they wouldn't even know there was anything wrong with my leg. It was just perfect. Uh, you know, God did it so, so quickly. So that they, I got my blood test back. It was okay. The nurse, I said to the, the nurse said to me, she said, your leg still looks a bit inflamed, she said. We'll give you some inflammation tablets. I said, no, no. I said, I'm done. <laughs> I'm finished. I'm all right. And she said, yes, she said, Jesus rose from the dead. I'm sure I can do it with your leg. <laughs> so I like nurses like that. So God was, you know, uh, with us all of the way through these things and brought about healing. But you know, during that late night uh, in the dark, when I was praying those prayers, um, Zoe had sent me some verses of scripture which I was praying with. Uh, she sent me some prayers which were kind of like claiming the blood of Jesus. And she also sent me a song. And that's, that song was, uh, I Raise a Hallelujah. And I started to play that song and it really began to speak to me and it really began to give me faith. There was another day in an evening where I had another visitation, which was quite an interesting one. I woke up in the evening, in the night, and um, there was uh, what I felt was like trickling from my leg. So I looked at my leg, and there were ants. And they had come into the room, they'd gone up the headboard, and they'd come down into my bed. And they were running up my leg. They were collecting the skin, and they were going away again. And there was a little train coming up, and a little train going down. <laughs> down my leg. <laughs> and, uh, and I was watching it for a while. It was quite fun, actually. <laughs> but eventually I decided to wipe them off because they were nipping me a bit, taking the skin away. But, uh, but, but God was in it. You know, God was in it. And uh, this, this song, I Raise a Hallelujah, kind of said the words that I felt were there. So I want to sing that uh, now. I want us to, to just play that song. Can we have the musicians? Uh, uh, did you want to just say anything right at the moment before we sing? Oh, 
I'm so sorry because I, it's very remiss of me. I, was, I wanted to say thank you to everybody here, and I meant to do it at the very beginning, but I got a bit carried away. But I just wanted to thank everybody here for your prayer support and, and for your gifts as well, because I know that um, on your mission, was it your mission Sunday? Is it a Mission Sunday? Um, people have been raising funds um, for us. And we have a beautiful picture, um, a canvas picture, hanging in the orphanage with everybody's prints on, and you were praying for the individual children. Um, and I'm so sorry I don't have a picture of the picture, but I promise <laughs> next time we come, I didn't know we were going to be coming here, but we have the picture hanging in our orphanage um, with all the um, fingerprints of everybody here. Um, so thank you, everybody, for that and for people that are raising funds for us. I know Zoe and um, Caroline are doing a, a walk um, and they need sponsors. Um, they have a form at the back. So people are in this church are doing things for us, and we really are grateful. So I just want to say thank you for your support. Thank you for your um, prayers. Okay. <coughs> so just to, before we go into this song, or as we go into this song, actually, um, it, it was, it's, a, it's raising a hallelujah in the face of the enemy. You know, when David went up the hill to attack Goliath, he was saying the words of God. He had a sword in his mouth. They gave him a sword. They gave him armor, but he didn't need it. He had a sword in his mouth. And the mouth that he was, he was saying to Goliath, my God will deal with you. My God will deal with you. Uh, and I will give you to the birds of the air. And he's going up that mountain with those words. And it's a sword in his hand because he's got the words of God. And as I was singing this song, and as I was listening to these songs, and I was praying these prayers, it was like I had a sword that I was now pointing at the enemy. And I, I was now saying and you know, declaring that God is in control of the situation. And I want you to, as you sing this song, that God is in control of your situation. We started praying at the beginning of today for people who felt that there were things that they wanted to lift before God. As you sing this song, bring again that prayer. Bring again that prayer. Because as we raise a hallelujah in the face of the enemy, then God deals with the problem. And he comes in the middle of the night and he chases out the darkness and he brings in the light. Hallelujah. Sing along to 
prayer. Just come while we're singing it. Sing a little louder. You know, just sing a little louder in your heart. You know, fear is broken. Disbelief is broken. Doubt is broken. God wants us to come forward in faith. If you, if you want to go something this morning, you want to come forward here, then we can just continue just to just sing these songs a little bit more and to just allow ourselves to be open to prayer. for Paul and for Debbie to release a blessing over them. We thank God for what they've shared this morning, don't we? We thank God for the, for the life of faith that they're living and for the work of God in them. And it's been a feast this morning hearing about them following God's path and being trusting God in it all. So Paul and Debbie, we bless you. 
We thank you for your ministry this morning. And if you'd like to join me in praying for them once they've finished praying at the front here, we'll go to the far corner there and we're going to pray for them as they go forward and as they return next week that God's continued anointing and blessing is on them and their journey. Don't forget too that you can find more information at the back about things like sponsoring a child or sponsoring Carolyn and Zoe on their long walk. They've gone ahead of them to raise money for this. So if you'd like to contribute to that, that'd be fantastic. So thank you, church. It's been a blessing this morning. May you be blessed as you go forward in God's purposes this week. Take what you've learned. Listen to God. What's my assignment today? Who could God lead you to this week that you might be salt and light to somebody and bring salvation to them? So be blessed, church. Father God, I bless your people. I thank you for the privilege of being in your presence. We bless your people now to go forward in this week, to take the word that they've heard and to live it out this week. So bless them in Jesus' name. And may your joy and strength be our portion in every season. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.